Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. This lecture is titled, Interpreting Dreams, Deciphering the World of Dreams. This week's and last week's Torah portions speak in great detail about dreams. First we read of Joseph's two dreams, of how his brothers will bow to him, the first dream speaking of bundles of straw and the second dream of stars, the moon and the sun, bowing to his bundle of straw and to his star. Then we have the dream of the wine merchant with the three baskets of grapes on his head and the baker with the three baskets of pastries on his head. Finally, we have the two dreams of Pharaoh. In the first one, there are the seven fat cows swallowed up by the seven skinny cows. And in the second dream, the seven fat stalks swallowed up by the seven skinny stalks. All these dreams are told in great detail, in which the details are all specific details in the message and interpretations of the dreams to its dreamer. People react to dreams very differently, from one extreme to the other. Some see their dreams as a message and reconfirm this by stories after stories of how they dreamt about someone who they haven't seen in ages or about something they haven't encountered in ages and suddenly that person or thing immediately following the dream come, comes into their lives. Other people are to the far other extreme of total cynicism of trying to interpret any sort of reality out of a dream. Then there are those who cautiously are uncertain as to what their dreams mean, if there is to be any meaning at all. What we are going to explore in this lecture is not the specifics of how to interpret dreams, rather we are going to present here the totality of the structure of dreams as it is explained throughout the teachings. What is thoroughly confusing of the teachings upon dreams is that they seem to contradict themselves again and again. It is only when we have a clear picture of the structure of the world of dreams that suddenly all the teachings fall into place and complement each other. Thus we will start by quoting the teachings from the Talmud, Zohar and other sources from our sages, experiencing the contradictions amongst them. Let us begin with a general statement of our sages in the Talmud. This is a very interesting statement. If a man goes seven days without a dream, he is called evil. Correct. That is a quote from the Talmud. Now let us just see the many different quotes of our sages concerning dreams. 1. If there be prophets amongst you, I the Lord will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. That is actually a verse in Deuteronomy. Now we'll go to another verse from the book of Psalms. When the Lord returns the returnees to Zion, we shall be like dreamers, meaning that exile is like a dream. Now from the sages. A man is shown in a dream only what is suggested by his own thoughts, meaning that which he has thought of during the day. Another teaching, there is an angel appointed of the dreams, and it, the angel, makes compilations of the person's thoughts, which the person thought throughout the day, sometimes in an orderly fashion, but most often through changing and exchanging the compilations of the thoughts. Another teaching, in addition, he must earnestly remember that most of his dreams are vanity and affliction of the spirit because his soul does not rise upward 
as it is written, Who shall ascend to the mountain of the Lord, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart? But those originating from the evil side come and attach themselves to him and report to him in his dreams of mundane affairs, and often mock him and show him false things and torment him in his dreams, and so on, as stated in the Zohar. There's another quote. When a person sleeps, his soul ascends and there remains but a small bit of life. And then the conscious intellect also ascends and there remains the power of imagination. And the power of imagination can unite two opposites. Another teaching. Does not the dreamer dream also of that which he never saw and never thought of in his life? And also there are in dreams that which is true and that which is false. Another quote. A dream is contrary to nature, like a miracle of water burning just as oil, once its divine letters have been re reversed. One more teaching. Dreams are in order to correct the letters of thought and of speech that the person had during the day. Those letters of ill will which need to be expelled and those letters of mundaneness which need to be refined, cleansed and elevated. Wow! So many different thoughts. All these quotes lead to such contradictions of whether a dream is a good thing as that of a prophecy or of a necessary refinement of our mundaneness and ill will thoughts of during the day. And whether we only dream of thoughts we already had or whether we dream of things that we never saw or thought of. Additionally, the very word for dream in Hebrew, chalom, carries a dichotomy. The word chalom on the one hand speaks of a dream, which is the absence of our higher conscious intellect and only of our lower power of imagination. And yet on the other hand, we find in the verse the word used as recovering of health and strength. As in Isaiah, the verse says, and you cured me. Thus, to understand all of this properly, we will need to step back a moment and see what is the purpose and the structure of dreams. When the sages speak of the four categories of creation, which are A, inanimate, B, botanic, C, animal, and D, human, they refer to the humans as midaber, speaker, because we humans are primarily communicators. Let's explore this on a deeper mystical level. This soul has no form of communication, for essence matter does not express or reveal itself. It simply is. Thus the first and slightest form of movement of the soul is the creation of letters, which serve as essence expressions of the soul. The soul expresses itself through these letters, first through letters of thought, and then at times also through letters of speech. These letters, being the first movement of the soul, are not just detached garments to the soul, which can simply be removed and disposed of. Rather, these letters are eternal pieces of the soul. Now when the soul descends into this world and clothes itself within the physical body, its letters are now also susceptible to the mundane, egocentric and ill-willed thoughts and speech of the animalistic soul. However, once the soul's essence letters have become stained and attached to the mundane, egocentric and ill-willed expressions of the animalistic soul, the holy godly soul is now barred 
from ascending into heaven to rejuvenate itself, either because the ill-willed letters need to be completely dispelled of, because of, or because of the mundane letters, the kosher mundane letters, such as the thoughts and words we say to earn a living, they need to be cleansed from our egocentrism, or both of the ill-willed letters that need to be dispelled and the egocentric mundane kosher letters. This is the first platform of dreams, to correct the, letter of, the letters of thought and speech that the dreamer used throughout the day. Let's go ahead and understand this. Platform number one, correction of the letters. The power that our dreams have to correct the letters of thought and speech that we have during the day is precisely because we are in a state of sleep where there is only a small bit of life within us in which the higher intellects of conscious are not controlling and limiting the usage of letters to just logic and therefore the lower power of imagination can experience total illogical formation of the letters. The Talmud speaks of a sage who saw in his dream the vision of the, an elephant the size of an elephant walking through the eye of a needle the size of an eye of a needle. The conscious mind will be forced to either shrink the elephant or enlarge the eye of a needle. Go ahead and try to imagine this vision now. It is only in the realm of a dream where the vision can be a compilation of the impossible. This separation of our higher logic from our letters of thought and speech is what we are looking for. Additionally, the power of imagination that drives our dreams make us truly experience in a tangible way the dreams compilations of words, in whatever way the ministering angel of dreams organizes the words for us. When we are having a dream, we are never experiencing our dreams as an outside spectator to our dream. We are never intellectually contemplating our dream from the outside. Rather, we are experiencing our dream when we are in the dream. What this power of experiencing the letters of a dream does for us is that it allows for us to then awaken from the dream and thus separate ourselves from the letters of the dream which ultimately are the letters of the egocentric thoughts and speech that we had during the day. Thus the rejuvenation that comes to us is experienced when we wake up from the dream, separating ourselves. That's how we cleanse the letters, by separating that egocentric self from the dream. In this platform of dreams, we only dream of that which we thought or spoke about during the day. Albeit and reconstruction our compilation through which we don't even recognize how these are the very same letters of thoughts and speech that we had during the day. But they are only of the letters of the thoughts or the speech that we had during that day. A simple visual through which we can understand this platform is as that of hitting a rug to get the dust out of it. The rug is the letters of thoughts and speech. The dust is the ego and the banging on the rug to remove the dust is a the illogical reconstruction of the formation of letters which confuse and bypass our ego and b the waking up from the dream through which we now clearly experience the detachment of self and ego from the experience of the letters platform number two of dreams is prophecy the second platform of dreams is that of prophecy the Torah is filled with such dreams as that of Jacob's dream of the angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. 
However, on this platform of dreams, we need to revisit what the sages mean when they say that a man is shown in a dream only what is suggested by his own thoughts, which means that which he has thought of during the day. The entire concept of a prophecy is that the message is coming from above and not created by the person's thoughts. We will understand this through the following teaching of our sages concerning prophecy. And this is the teaching of the Talmud. The same communication is revealed to many prophets, yet no two prophets prophecy in the identical phraseology. The question is that if prophecy is all about the message from God, then why would it not be delivered by all the prophets in the identical phraseology? It's all the same message. The answer is that all of creation, including even a message from God, is comprised of its light and its vessels. The context of the message is the light of the message, while the exact phraseology made up of the precise words, which are made up of the precise letters, is the vessel of the message. Now the concept of any prophecy is of God talking and of the person hearing. Thus the person must hear it through the very unique essence letters of his soul. And no two godly souls have the exact same essence letters. For the essence letters of each soul is unique to its oneness with the essence of that specific soul. Thus on this platform of dreams in which a dream is a prophecy being told to the dreamer, the teaching that a man is shown in a dream only what is suggested by his own thoughts, this means that the prophecy shall be experienced by him through the unique essence letters of his soul. Platform 3. Beyond Specific Expressive Letters The next platform of dreams, which is the final platform for this lecture, is of an absolute different nature of dreams and is the most important nature of dreams. In the previous two platforms of dreams, whether it be that of correcting the letters used during the day or whether it be of experiencing a message from God, both these platforms were built upon the vessels having dominance over the light, in which the light was conforming to the specific letters of the dreamer's soul. Whether it be a message from God talking to the dreamer in his language of letters, or whether it be the correction of the letters through the reusage of the letters, albeit in an illogical, reorganized fashion. The third platform is where the dream emerges from a place of miracles that is defined as Nimna Hamninnaot, which means the impossible of impossibilities. What this means is that the light of, is of a nature which is above and beyond the capacity and even above beyond the very concept of vessels. And therefore, two things. A. It does not conform to the letters. And B. It does not need to diminish itself in order to unite with the letters. What is most important for us to understand of this platform of dreams is the impact that these dreams have upon our letters, our essence letters of our souls. Be it the egocentric letters of our mundane thoughts and speech, or be it upon the letters of prophecy. When a dream comes from the light of Nimna HaNimnaot, then the refinement and elevation is not made through entering and cleaning up the letters by chiseling away at the dirt or finite capacity of the letters. 
Rather, the Nimna Hanimnod lights of the dream immediately beams up the letters to an entire new plane of reality. And this is both the ultimate experience of correcting our letters of egocentrism by having it beamed up to a whole new plane of reality, and of dreaming a prophecy message from God, which once again, the letters of that message is beamed up to an entire new plane of reality of God's revelation. Allow me, however, to point out a stipulation by, bar by borrowing a quote from great inspirational thinkers. What is that quote? If you can dream it, then you can be it. However, the point I am emphasizing here is that you can only begin by dreaming it and never by thinking it. You will remember that I earlier explained that our sages tell us that it is only when we descend into the experience of having but a small bit of life and then the conscious intellect also ascends and there remains the power of imagination and the power of imagination can unite two opposites. When we are in an experience of being awake and the logic of our higher intellects are dominating over our lower power of imagination, none of the platforms of dreams can happen. Thus, the descent of losing the higher intellects of logic is actually what is called the crouch before the leap, through which we then can experience a leap into unprecedented heights. Now we can understand the verse in Psalms which compares our being in exile to that of having a dream. In a state of divine awakeness, everything spiritual needs to work in an orderly and thus finite fashion. The entire notion of teshuva, which is repentance returning, in a state of universal divine awakeness, is limited by the laws of the Torah, which separates an intentional sin from an unintentional sin, and of the permanent effect that the Torah says of sins at times. Even when the Torah prescribes teshuva, it is to remove the sin. However, to utilize past sins to propel us into unprecedented heights of the nature upon which the Talmud rules, there where a returnee stands, even a complete sandik, a complete righteous man, cannot stand. It's something that can only happen when the universe is in a state of slumber and dreams can take place. That whole notion that a Balteshuvah can propel himself into a place where even a complete tzaddik can't stand can only happen in the times of slumber, in the times of dreams. The universal, higher, logical, divine light of intellects need to ascend, leaving the universe into the descent of but a small bit of life, in which the lower divine power of imagination can then bring about the connection of the total opposites. The transformation of our past sins into the unprecedented Nimna Hamnimnaot light. This is the true purpose of our being in exile, so that we may tap into the power of being dreamers. In closing, I want to point out two pertinent mystical ideas and how they meet with our modern lives. A that while exile is not something that we choose, not on a personal level where we are thrown into painful and confusing darkness, 
and not on a universal level when we see the world suffering. However, once we are in exile, we must be able to connect to the opportunity that exile gives us. For this alone is the greatest opportunity that we will ever have to be able to transform our past sins into the unprecedented Nimna Hamnimna Ot Light. B. The second pertinent mystical idea that we learn from here is that on a very practical level, sometimes we need to overcome the orderliness of our ego-driven logic and be able to thrust ourselves with tr true faith into the suprahuman experience of Nimna Hanimna Ot. It is only through this thrust of faith that people in their personal lives, the Jewish people in our national lives, and the world in its universal life has merited to celebrate holidays of miracles. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.